chord changers. Today we're going to be talking about Galileo Galilei. Galileo was born in Pisa, Tuscany on February 15, 1564. And he was the oldest son, his dad Vincenzo, uh, creator of the little known pizza company, uh, Vincenzo's Pizza, was a musician, really uh, really talented musician, dealt in a lot of theory and stuff and Galileo, because of this, actually could. He was a kind of a novice musician himself. The family moved uh, from Pisa to Florence in the early 1570s, so when Galileo was just a kid. And uh, their family, the Galilei family, had lived there for generations. And in his middle teens, uh, he attended a monastery school to get into the priesthood. And then in uh, you know 1581... He was matriculated at the University of Pisa, uh, where he was to study medicine. But he just became enamored with math. I mean, don't we all at some point in our lives? And uh, he decided to make math, mathematical subjects, and philosophy his his uh, profession. And of course, as many fathers today, when you tell them you want to focus on math, his dad was upset, um, but he didn't really care. Um, seems like that's a consistent trait so far in this podcast with these people who do great things is they might not always have an opportunity to prove it, but for the most part, they're not afraid to go against the grain, against what their family says, against what their church says, against what their nation or religion, they just, they always are seeking the truth and sometimes it's really hard. So in this instance, he was going against his father's wishes but he began to prepare himself to start teaching Aristotelian philosophy, so the philosophy of Aristotle, and um, mathematics. So he just kind of wants to be a teacher, and he started like preparing lectures. Some of these lectures actually survive today. Uh, in 1585, so at this point, he would be, what is this, 26? So, oh, I'm sorry, uh, 40. At this point, in, in, in 1585, when he was 21, uh, he left the university, so just dropped out, didn't get a degree, and for several years, he just gave private lessons in math, and he did this in Florence and Siena, and he started kind of uh, studying and kind of inventing his own things. He designed a new form for the hydrostatic balance for weighing small quantities, okay, probably hard to imagine, but pretty much invented a cool, uh, you know, measuring machine he uh, began his studies in motion so this was a big subject that he dealt with a lot and he pursued it actually for the next two decades in 1588 so he's 24 at this time he applies to be the chair of mathematics at the university of bologna it looks like bologna i don't know i'm gonna call it yeah the, the uh, prestigious university and he was denied so another common thing in people who try to do great things and try to change the world is rarely, if ever, do they experience a path void of failure. And so it was with Galileo. So he gets denied from this, uh, you know, this teaching position, and uh, which was probably pretty sad for him. But his reputation started to grow. He started to, you know, make more lectures, and they were getting published and. 
he had the opportunity to speak at the Florentine Academy um, about the world of Dante's Inferno. And so he started to get, you know, some uh, clout and uh, he started finding some cool theories too. Like he um, had some ingenious theorems on the centers of gravity and a lot of mathematicians started to recognize that he had some talent. And so in 1589, four years after he got, um, or sorry, one year after he got denied from the chair of mathematics, uh, a different university brought him on as the chair of mathematics. So if you fail, you know, just improve and do better, you know. And uh, so uh, at this point, this university was the University of Pisa. And people dispute this story. I think it's pretty cool. And one of his uh, biographers, Vincenzo Viviani, who was living at the same time as him, he's the first one to record this and no one knows if it's true or not. But apparently at the uh, tower of, or the leaning tower of Pisa, as we know it today, he would drop um, objects at different weights and sizes. And he was proving that the speed um, was not proportional to its weight, is what Aristotle had claimed. So Aristotle said, if you drop a bowling ball and you drop a grape, the bowling ball is going to land first because it weighs more. And Galileo refuted this. He would get bowling balls at different sizes and they would hit the ground at the same time. And now we know this to be true. Um, there is friction involved, right? And so that sometimes can cause something to hit the ground first. If you drop a bowling ball in a feather, the feather is going to get caught up in the friction of the air. But when we actually went to the moon, the astronauts tested these theories and because the moon has no um, atmosphere. It's like a vacuum. And so they dropped a feather and a hammer and it hits the ground at the same time. The video's on YouTube. Pretty cool. Check it out. So that's when he does that experiment and he started to kind of abandon the notions of Aristotle. And... Uh, and people kind of thought it was – people didn't really like it. Um, it made him unpopular that he was attacking Aristotle. And in 1592, three years after he got that uh, job as the, the chair of mathematics, it wasn't renewed. His contract wasn't renewed. And so it just people were kind of hating on him for hating on Aristotle. But some of his buddies uh, secured him a chair of mathematics at the University of Padua um, where he taught – from that year, 1592, for the next 18 years. So he got this position when he was uh, 28 years old. So he's still pretty young. And um, yeah, so he gets this great job. But one thing I just want to talk about is it's just so interesting to me that one of the, the most consistent themes throughout all of these great men and women's life is that obviously the podcast is called World Changers. And they're changing the world. And whenever they present these, these changes, it seems like the people, the we always reject them. You know, it's uh, Christ was different than Moses, right? He brought this uh, this new law, and the Jews, the people who Christ supposedly spoke to in the Old Testament, they rejected him. And then now we have Christ coming, and you know he's rejected because of this. But then eventually, people get so passionate and loyal to Christ that if anyone rejects him. You know, they reject that person. And we got Aristotle. He rejected Plato. And he was cast out because of it. You know, he didn't get to become the uh, the head of Plato's school. And now we have Galileo rejecting Aristotle. And he's getting, you know, kind of ostracized and marginalized because of it. Joseph Smith, he brought 
a new religion, and he was rejected for it. Einstein refuted Newton, and he was rejected. It's just so interesting. Like These people are connected. And if you look at it just at one, if you just zoom in, it seems like Einstein and Newton are at odds with one another. But ultimately, they're not. All of these people, although they refute each other often, they're on the same team, the team of forward motion and uh, pursuing of truth. And that's all they care about, you know? They, all they want to do is discover truth. And it seems that whenever something momentous and new is proposed, we often just reject it. And, but then once it's proven, it seems like society feels guilty for it. And that guilt burgeons into loyalty, very passionate loyalty. And at this point, they become at this point when they're incredibly loyal to the person that they once rejected and they were wrong about, something new comes along and refutes that point to which they are now dangerously loyal and it just starts over. And it just seems like we just need to seek truth always. We need to never complete the book of truth, never reject truth, never be afraid of truth. I feel like each generation we say, we've got it all figured out and there's nothing else you can tell us. And then we feel like we're then we get proven wrong and then by a world changer, and then we say, okay, now this is the end and nothing else can change. And as you can see with Galileo, this is going to be a huge part of his life, right? Is that he's refuting uh, things that his religion says, uh, he, he's, he's going against things that his religion is saying, and they end up hating him for it. Anyways, kind of a little tangent there, but it's just uh, something I've seen throughout doing this podcast and I thought it was pretty interesting well so he gets this position he's 28 years old his dad had died the year before when he was 27 so add Galileo to the list of world changers who've had a parent or close family member or friend die while they're really young 27 is a little bit older but still pretty young and uh, so he gets this you know this uh, teaching position he's the chair of mathematics at the University of Padua I don't know how to say that sorry and he's getting paid a lot, but his, because his dad died, he's the head of the family, and he's just like always pressed for money. So even though he's getting paid a lot of money, he just still can't pay all of his bills. So he starts actually uh, tutoring privately different students, and people think because he had all these financial problems, he never married. This is why he didn't marry. He did, however, have a couple, two daughters and one son with uh a Venetian woman named Marina Gamba and I guess they just like arranged it he just like wanted to have kids and so they just met and then you know got her pregnant and they didn't get married I don't even know if he lived with her so kind of like a Cristiano Ronaldo kind of thing I don't know if you guys know about that google it it's what he's doing nowadays and so he's kind of busy it's stressful you know he he uh, is trying to take care of his family in the midst of all this he continues his research on motion in 1609, he's uh, he, it's he determines that the distance fallen by a body is proportional to the square of the elapsed time. Not that important that you understand that. He just is he's inventing these cool. He's discovering these cool things. He also found that the trajectory of a projectile is a parabola. So you know, if you don't know what a parabola is, you know, kind of like a an N almost. Um, but both of these things, it's not important that you understand them. They're both just contrary to Aristotelian physics. So they were just refuting Aristotle. 
Aristotle's main point was that he believed there were these four, there were these elements, right? And so an earth fell to the I mean sorry, a rock fell to the earth when you dropped it because it was made of mostly earth and it wanted to go back to where it came from. Uh, smoke was made of mostly air and a little bit of fire, and that's why it rose because it wanted to go back up to the air. And above all of these, there was a material, the quintessence, which was these heavenly bodies, and they were perfect. And Aristotle also believed that these um, objects could not move without being pushed. Well, they, they would not continue to move without being pushed. So the only way to keep something in continuous movement was to be continually pushing it. And he said, he said the stars continually moved because there was a creator above them who constantly was kind of pushing them or, or you know, putting force upon them. One of, his, uh, one of the big problems with this theory was an arrow. How an arrow was not touching the string after it was launched from the bow, but it continued to move. And why was that? And people came up with crazy theories. They said behind the arrow, it creates a vacuum of air that causes force to be pushed on it. But ultimately, he ended up being wrong. And Galileo brought us the law of inertia. That's something we'll continue to be, continue to move, you know, until uh, acted upon by something else, which is uh, goes into what ends up being Newton's, you know, one of Newton's three laws, right? So he said, yeah. So that was one of the, the main differences between what people believed at the time and what Galileo was saying. So about this time, he uh, Galileo's career took a huge turn. Uh, in the spring of 1609, uh, someone in the Netherlands invented pretty much a telescope. And he heard about it, read about it, and by trial and error, he quickly figured out the secret of the invention and made his own three-powered spyglass from lenses for sale in a spectacles shop. So pretty much someone's like, hey, I invented the iPhone, and this is what it can do. And then he just goes... Oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Goes home, buys this stuff, goes to Radio Shack, you know, gets a, these wires, bam, 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 and then he has a, an iPhone. That's kind of sort of what happened. And others had also done this, but Galileo was kind of set apart from the rest because he quickly figured out how to improve the instrument. So he taught himself the art of lens grinding, and he started to produce increasingly more and more powerful telescopes. And this was a huge I mean, a lot of us think that he invented the telescope. He actually didn't, but he really uh, improved it, you know. So in August of that year, he had an eight-powered uh, instrument, and he presented this to the Venetian Senate, and uh, he was rewarded with life tenure and doubling of his life salary. So now he was one of the highest-paid professors at the university. So he was just awesome that he had invented this. And in the fall of 1609, so a couple months later, he starts to observe the heavens with instruments that, mag that are magnified up to 20 times. And this must have been one of the most exciting things in the world. I just watched this documentary on Netflix about the Voyager 1 and the Voyager 2 and how they sent them to the farthest parts in space. And they're actually in intergalactic space, I think is what it's called. But they're out of our, you know, they're out of our galaxy and our universe, you know, and... Um, and and so and it's it's these voyagers took pictures really close of Neptune and or Saturn and, and their moons, and but at this point I'm, I'm assuming Galileo was probably the first person ever to be able to see certain things. He, no one had ever had a telescope this big, and could see this far. And so he was like the first person to ever see these, and it must have been just so exciting. So in December he drew the moon's phases, 
and he saw that the moon's surface wasn't smooth. And people believed that, remember, everything in the heaven was this special material called quintessence, and it was like perfect. It was heaven, right? The stars were heaven. and But this moon's surface was all rough and uneven. Uh, January, a month later, he discovered four moons going around Jupiter, which was really interesting. And he also noticed that there were way, way more stars than you could see with the naked eye. And this was earth-shaking. It's unbelievable. He just all of a sudden more things appear, you know? And so he quickly made a book um, called The Sidereal Messenger, The Sidereal Messenger. I don't know how to say that. But uh, he describes all of these different things he's discovering. And he, he dedicates the book to Cosimo II de Michi. And this guy's the Grand Duke of Tuscany. And uh, he taught him mathematics. He taught Galileo mathematics when he was younger. And he named all the moons of the Jupiter after the Medici family. So it's kind of cool that he Galileo named these things for us. And because of this, uh, that guy, Cosimo de' Medici, that the Grand Duke, he makes him, he points him as his mathematician and philosopher. So then he goes back to his homeland and he's just returning in triumph as like this hero. And he lived, you know, there he lived as a gentleman. Um, but before he left, he started to discover some weird things. Like we mentioned, the moon was rough, right? And he saw that Saturn was kind of being weird and Venus looked like it went through phases just like the moon did. And the moons of Jupiter revolved around Jupiter, which proved that there was something else that was the center of motion in the universe, right? That Jupiter was the center of motion for the, for the moons. And uh, the phases of Venus showed that it and, by implication, Mercury, both revolved around the sun. And you probably already knew this, but at this time, uh, most people believed that the Earth was the center of the universe and everything revolved around it, which makes sense, you know? Like, it doesn't feel like we're moving and you see, look at the sky and things move around us, so it makes sense, but it was wrong. And so he starts seeing these things, these, this proof that all these, you know, these holes and all the, the, the arguments that people have made and it, all these things, it just confirmed his belief in um, what Copernicus had argued, which was that the sun was the center of the universe. And so Galileo converted to what they called Copernicanism. And it was a huge turning point in the scientific revolution. And he ends up, uh, you know, starting being a little bit more vo vocal about this. He ends up debating this Jesuit about sunspots. Because remember, people believed everything was uh, perfect in the heavens. He's like, well, what's up with these spots on the sun? They, they don't look good. And the guy tried to say that they were satellites around the sun, but he, he's like, dude, they're like right on the surface, man. Like they're not satellites. And so he, he just started like being more and more vocal about this and it started to cause him some trouble. And in 1613, he wrote a letter to his students and he was, he was trying to square these problems to reconcile, you know, biblical passages and the Copernican theory. And it was just hard. And some of these letters were kind of mistranslated or, or copied wrong, I guess, and sent to the Inquisition in Rome. And he had to like go and explain himself and you know save his reputation. And they Inquisition, they the consultants examined this idea of the Copernican theory and they declared it heretical. Um, so it was heresy to believe the Copernican theory. And they started banning books. So they started banning books that that talked about this. So one of his books was banned of Galileo's, and you know other colleagues were booked. And Galileo was admonished 
and this is where it got a little tricky, but one of them apparently was incorrectly written down, but the one that was written in the books was that he was admonished to not hold, teach, or defend the Copernican theory in any way, whatever, either orally or in writing. So he kind of gets quiet for a little bit, and then he ends up writing this book, and he goes through all the right modes, and he gets it approved by the church, and he's like, guys, this is all hypothetical. That's like his intro. This is totally hypothetical. But then he has three characters, Salviati, who's Galileo, who represents Galileo, Segredo, who's an intelligent, normal layman, and then Simplicio, which is this diehard Aristotelian. So there's these three guys, and they just kind of are communicating throughout this book, talking about their beliefs. And he just gathered all the arguments together and like all of his discoveries and just kind of put it in this book. And in the end, he gives Simplicio the final word that God could have made the universe in any way he wanted to and still made it appear to us the way it does now. And that's kind of the final argument that Simplicio says, which is kind of a jab at the Pope because that was the, jo- the Pope's favorite argument. And he put it in the mouth of the person who had been ridiculed throughout the whole book. So needless to say, he got some heat right away. People got really mad. Um, and they're like, what the heck's going on here? And uh, he uh, he's like, hey, listen, look, this is what I was told. And he produces this letter of what he was told where it said he was admonished only not to hold or defend the theory. And they're like, no, look what it says here, man. It says, uh, you know, that you can not teach or defend in any way, orally writing, you know. And so it was like this confusion. They were at an impasse. They didn't know what to do. Ultimately, uh, Galileo just confessed to having overstated his case. He was pronounced to be vehemently suspect of heresy and was condemned to life imprisonment and had made, um, and yeah, so the rest of his life he was in prison. It was mostly house prison, uh, sorry, a house arrest. And it, it wasn't in a dungeon. He was never tortured. At this moment, the legend goes that he said, et pour si muave, which means right after they, you know, hit the, you know, decided that he was guilty and, and told him that he was going to be in jail for life. That that phrase means, and yet it moves. So pretty cool. Um, that, you know, kind of whispering on his breath. A lot of people think it's not true, but kind of a fun fun idea. So yeah, he, he goes into house arrest in the hills of Florence. It's not the end of, end of the world. He lives there for the next, you know, decade of his life. Uh, when he's 70, his, his daughter's kind of taking care of him. And uh, he kept working. He worked on some new books. Eventually, he became blind and uh, worked with uh, a young student, and then he eventually died at sixteen at the age of sixteen forty two. So that's uh, what is that 70, 78 years old. So pretty old, you know, especially for the sixteen hundreds. And that was his life. Okay, let's move on and talk quickly about. Um, a couple fun stories about him, and then uh, we'll go into some fun quotes. One fun fact is that we mentioned Galileo went blind. A lot of people think it's because he looked at the sun for long stretches of time. He was looking at the sunspots we mentioned earlier through his telescope, and that's what caused him to go blind. Also, he's Einstein's favorite scientist, so kind of fun. Uh, After he died, he was buried and... Uh, people started, you know, a, a year. I mean, sorry, a century after he was after he was buried, 
people started transferring famous scientists uh, burial place to you know to better places and and uh, they knew that he was you know pretty cool and so three of his fingers along with a vertebrae and a tooth were removed from his corpse corpse two of Galileo's fingers along with a tooth were kept by one of his admirers and handed down from generation from generation and they everyone thought they lost these things and then in 2009 they appeared at an auction and they did some tests and they found that it was Galileo's. I'm not sure how that works, but they did it somehow. And this guy bought them and one of the fingers uh, is actually at this university. Um, I'm sorry, at a museum. And it's like his middle finger. He's just kind of flipping you off, I guess. And his vertebrae ended up at the University of Padua, Padua, whatever, where he taught, remember, for like 18 years. So kind of weird, kind of funny. Uh, 359 years after Galileo was tried by the Inquisition, the Pope officially closed the investigation and issued a formal apology. So in 1992 was when the Roman Church said, uh, you're wrong. Oh, we were wrong. <laughs> Sorry about that, man. All right, let's move on to some fun quotes. We cannot teach people anything. We can only help them discover it within themselves. All truths are easy to understand once they are discovered. The point is to discover them. If I were again beginning my studies, I would, have follow, I would follow the advice of Plato and start with mathematics. The Bible shows the way to go to heaven, not the way the heavens go. Where the senses fail us, reason must step in. The sun, with all those planets revolving around it and dependent on it, can still ripen a bunch of grapes as if it had nothing else in the universe to do. I've never met a man so ignorant that I couldn't learn something from him. I do not feel obliged to believe that the same God who has endowed us with sense, reason, and intellect has intended us to forego their use. Who would set a limit to the mind of man? Who would dare to assert that we know all there is to be known? I give infinite thanks to God who has been pleased to make me the first observer of marvelous things. The nature of the human mind is such that unless it is stimulated by images of things acting upon it from without, all remembrance of them passes easily away. Nature is relentless and unchangeable and it is indifferent as to whether its hidden reasons and actions are understandable to man or not. So nature doesn't care if we know them or not. He who looks the higher is the more highly distinguished, and turning over the great book of nature is the way to elevate one's gaze. Let's do one more. Facts which at first seem improbable will, even on scant explanation, Drop the cloak which has hidden them and stand forth in naked and simple beauty. Okay, let's finish up and just talk about why he's great. So one of the reasons why he was great was he believed that the book of nature was written in the language of mathematics. And he changed natural philosophy from a verbal uh, qualitative account to a mathematical one with experimentation. And experimentation became the recognized method for discovering the facts of nature. So he just felt like everything was there for us to discover, and we can poke around and, uh, and do tests. 
And obviously, the discoveries he made with the telescope and astronomy revolutionized what we thought of the stars. His, uh, what he, his works that he laid down with the laws of motion obviously paved the way for Newton. And uh, yeah, his, his bravery, standing up to the Inquisition, to saying what he thought was true, to be willing to be sentenced to life in prison or life in house arrest, I guess. Uh, for what you think is right, you know? And I think that kind of bravery is something that we've seen with a lot of these men and women in this podcast so far. Well, thanks for listening to World Changers. And if you'd like to leave a comment or suggestion, correction, or any people you'd like us to do in the future, you can email us at worldchangerspod at gmail.com. That's pretty much all we got today. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you.